Good morning. Thank you, Christy. Will you please stand with me this morning? I'm going to read from God's Word. This is from Matthew chapter 8 regarding Jesus and calming the storm. The Bible says that Jesus got into the boat and his disciples followed him. And without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. And I've got without warning circled in my Bible because sometimes there's circumstances in life that sort of land in our lap and they've landed there without warning. And all of a sudden, what do we, what do, we do with this? This is on my plate. This is at my doorstep. And Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and they woke him up and said, Lord, save us. That's also circled in my Bible. And Jesus replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves and it was completely calm. And the Bible says the men were amazed and they asked, what kind of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? And to recognize this morning, I don't know what you may be brought in the room as you've walked through these doors. Maybe there's circumstances that without warning, they're in your lap. But as we worship God Almighty, recognize we worship the one who can bring a calm into any and every circumstance. And so we're going to go to him in prayer right now. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray together? Father, we thank you so much for the incredible, incredible grace that you give us through Jesus Christ. We recognize that in the name of Christ, Lord, you can bring a calmness to any sea, any circumstance that, that maybe is on people's hearts and lives. And this morning as we gather together and worship, we call on the one who can calm any circumstance. But beyond our circumstances, he can bring a peace and a calmness in our hearts and our lives that is supernatural. And we will not find this peace anywhere else than other than through the hand of God. And so this morning we come to you and we, we ask that you would just bless this time as we seek you as we open our hearts to receive whatever it is that you have today. And Father, we ask you to move now amongst us. Lord, we pray for the, the ministry that took place at LifeGate this morning. We ask for your spirit to grow, guide, and lead them as a congregation. And the word that Pastor Niles preached today, Father, I pray it would be upon good soil. Father, we also recognize last week we prayed for Amanda Dorneth, and as she is boarding a plane and probably taking off right as we speak, we pray for safety over that team as they head to Malaysia. Bless them, Father, protect them, and use that team to advance your kingdom. And Father, bless this time as we worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Good morning. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles this morning to... 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Yeah, kids' church. First Thessalonians chapter 5. I want to begin reading at verse number 1. If you'd like to follow me, verse number one, it says, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, 
then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pangs or pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and to be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you are also doing. I spent many hours driving the uh, interstate road, Interstate 94, that carries, that goes into Billings, Montana. I think I mentioned this before a couple times in some of the uh, teachings that I've done. From our college to Billings, Montana was just over 600 miles. And uh, <clears throat> when I get to Bismarck, which would be about 165 miles from the campus, there was a sign over, it was a, a directional sign, it was a sign telling us about the mileage that was left to travel. And that mileage is 435 miles. And I would just, I, I gotta be honest with you, I would just sort of, ugh. Man, I've been at this thing for three hours already. And 435 miles, and, there, and I gotta be honest with you, in western North Dakota, there's really not all that much to see. And uh, it's just sort of an indolating prairie line that goes off into the distance. And, and uh, about the only thing that breaks that up are a number of oil wells that are pumping and things like that. So you kind of look at them and as you go along. Uh, then the next sign you get to is just about at the Montana border and you see another sign that gives the distance. Of course, it's much less. And you continue on and these signs continue to appear just a little bit more frequently then. And that as you get closer to Billings at 50 miles, say, or 45 miles, these signs are far more frequent then. You know you are getting close to your destination. That's what I'm talking about here. It is, there are signs today, ladies and gentlemen. There are signs that this Bible talks about. There are various signs, and they are becoming more and more prominent as we move forward in this particular life. And we are coming to a destination. We are coming to a place where we are going to see some of the greatest prophetic things happen right in front of our very eyes. Amazing things. And so these signs, these signs are guideposts. They are guidelines for us as we drive and things like this. And they are prophetic signs and they are very reliable. Do you realize that every prophecy about the birth of Jesus is matched by eight different prophecies about his second coming? Also, in the 360 chapters, 
In the New Testament, <clears throat> there, are 200, or there are 318 references to the second coming of Christ. God wants us to know and God wants us to understand. I find it interesting that the Bible devotes an incredible amount of space to the subject of prophecy, almost more space than any other subject at all. There are 1,845 different references throughout the Bible dealing with the first and the second coming of Christ. Prophecy is our ability to understand what is important to God. And I think it's something that is worth considering today is the fact that all of the prophecies concerning the birth of Jesus, every one of those prophecies came true to the most minute detail. Now you take those prophecies and multiply it by eight. And ladies and gentlemen, the signposts along our life way today are becoming more and more and more prominent as we go forward in our lives. In the many years of this, that I've studied the Bible, I've come to recognize that God provides for us what I call prototypes. A prototype of what he plans to do. A prototype, as you well know, is something that is closely similar to the very real thing. Check out the Bible, and we're going to find these prototypes, and I'm going to kind of roll through them quickly. The Bible talks about, in Genesis chapter 5, Enoch. The Bible says, Enoch walked with God, and Enoch was no more. The Bible says, God literally took him to heaven. He didn't die. Enoch never died. God took him to heaven. The Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 2, the word of God says that as they walked along the river, Elijah and Elisha, that was going to be the new mantle bearer. The Bible says that a horses and chariots of fire from heaven came and swept Elijah away into heaven. Elijah never died. He went to heaven. The Bible goes on and tells us many other things that are similar. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that Paul was lifted into the third heaven. The third heaven as a part of his educational process, if you will. And then Paul came back. Jesus, the Bible says in Acts chapter 1, the Bible says that when Jesus was lifted up into heaven, the angels that were there said, why are you looking up here into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you today will return in like manner. A prophetic implication there that Jesus Christ is coming back. The Bible tells us of the witnesses of Revelation chapter 11. And then finally the big one, and this is going to be the rapture of the church. When the church, and folks, I am not talking about a denomination here. I am not talking about a building. I'm not talking about anything in the nature of that. I'm talking about people who know Christ, who live for Christ. Christ is in their heart, alive in their heart. He governs their lives. That is the church. The label is <clears throat> really not important at all. God is not coming back for the Baptists or the Lutherans or the Methodists or, or anybody else that you can name along the way. He's coming back for his church. 
His blood-bought, blood-washed men and women and teenagers and young people who know Christ, live for Christ, Christ dwells in their life. Those are the people that go in the rapture of the church. It's important for us to understand that. God has sounded clear warnings. They're very loud. They have come through the Old Testament prophets. They've come through the New Testament writings. Jesus extensively wrote and told us about the things that we can expect in the day in which he comes. Rapture of the church. The rapture of the church is going to be sudden. It is going to be without warning. There are going to be no preliminaries. There's going to be nothing like that. There will be no prelude or anything like that. It's going to be sudden. The word rapture is a word in a word called harpazo. Harpazo means to take away and carry away quickly with force. This isn't something we just sort of float out of here and kind of cruise around and the atmosphere and all of this. It's to be taken by force. And that's a supernatural force. It means to carry off. And following the rapture of the church, and we're going to take a quick journey here through the pages of prophetic scripture. But on this journey after the rapture of the church immediately comes what we call the seven-year period of the tribulation. This is a period of this is a period in which there is a firestorm of judgment that begins to engulf the entire world. I believe it's going to start slow. But I believe immediately the man of sin, who is called Antichrist, this is revealed to us in 2 John. We see it in the book of the Revelation itself. But in 2 John chapter 1 and, and verse, uh, verse number 18, I'm going to turn there real quick. In 2 John chapter 1, or I mean 1 John chapter 1. Okay, let's get it straight. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Little children, it is the last hour as you have heard. Here it is. Antichrist is coming. Even now there are many antichrists have come by which we know it is the last hour. Now let's talk about this for a minute. Because John talks about it four times in his writing. Four times. There is no identity revealed on this. Now, I'm going to get into somebody's face. I know this for sure right now. Because I'm sure somebody's going to walk up to me after this church service and said, I bought so-and-so's book, and so-and-so says, this is the, we're pretty sure this is the Antichrist. Please take that book and throw it into the nearest garbage can. Because it is junk. If you've heard it on television, turn quickly away from that station because you're dealing with somebody who is false. The Bible clearly tells us you are not going to identify that in this particular life. Once the tribulation begins, this person will be identified. And we will know. I had somebody trot up to me. Said, you know what? I was reading in this book, and it's by a fairly well-known author. And they said... Uh, they named two or three political figures that they were quite certain they are going to be the Antichrist. And I just told them the same thing that I just told you. They were offended, of course, because they had paid about 15 bucks for this book, and now they couldn't get their money back from it. And that was unfortunate, 
but it is a lie. Understand that. Please understand that. Daniel chapter 7 speaks of him. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 5 says, A mouth that speaks great things, and yet they are blasphemies. This Antichrist will be revealed at the very beginning of the tribulation period. One of the distinguishing things that is going to occur then is that there will be a peace offering to Israel. Let me tell you something today. If you've read the papers, if you understand what is going on in Israel, Israel is ready to sign peace right now. Because all they have to do is to defend their little tiny nation. That's barely the size of Delaware. And they are, surround, <clears throat> they are surrounded by 100 million people that says we want to wipe Israel off the face of the planet. Don't you think they'll sign that peace treaty? You better believe they will. We guarantee your peace. And that ushers in this tremendous time of tribulation. During this season, also, you, the, what is called the mark of the beast is going to be revealed. This is found in Revelation chapter 16, verse 16 and 17. And it says that this mark is going to be given to those people. These are people who are clearly going to identify with the Antichrist. And without this mark, you're not going to be able to buy, you cannot sell, you cannot trade, you cannot do business. And this, remember, this is a period of very strong delusion, powerful delusion, nothing like what we have. We have, we have problems now, but then it's going to be a strong delusion. The Bible refers to it as that. And these, this mark will identify you. In World War II, in Auschwitz, a Nazi concentration camp, prisoners were often divided. Those who were strong, those who appeared to be healthy, were given a tattoo. Usually that tattoo is on their arm, most of the time. Those who did not get a tattoo, those are the people that were going to be exterminated. This tattoo, this mark, whatever you call it. Folks, we are being conditioned on this right now. Did you realize that? You've probably read about it. They're implanting microchips now into people. It's uh, pretty interesting technology. These microchips contain an enormous amount of information about your life and all of these things. There is what, I think I've got this correct, it's RDIF. These are sensors. These are short range frequency sensors that can identify where you are. Pastor Russ knew where I was on my way from Humboldt because he has, no, he doesn't have that. <laughs> <laughs> what he has is a cell phone and he tracks me every Sunday morning. And so if, uh, if he's saying, we've got to sing one more chorus, that means I'm probably about, I just turned the corner or something. <laughs> the Bitcoin may very well become part of this system. It identifies the followers of Antichrist. 
what happens at the end of this seven-year period. It's a, it's a thing called the Battle of Armageddon. Actually, I think it's going to be a series of battles, a variety of battles, but at the end of the game, the end of the day, everybody lines up against little bitty Israel. Napoleon said in the Valley of Megiddo, which is where Armageddon will take place, in the Valley of Megiddo, Napoleon said, all of the armies of the world can amass in this place and do war. The battleship, the USS Missouri, moved into Tokyo Bay in 1945, and there the armistice of peace was to be signed between America and Japan. And on the deck of the Missouri, General MacArthur stood to the microphone and he makes this prophetic statement. He said, this is our last chance. Unless something else happens of equity and peace, we will face Armageddon. That was an interesting statement made in September of 1945. The return of Jesus comes next. The return of Jesus, Matthew chapter 24, verse 30 says, anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Armageddon closes out the seven-year period of tribulation with the second coming, the very physical second coming of Jesus Christ. The Bible says he comes out of the clouds of glory on a white horse. Guess who's with him? The Bible says the armies, the angel armies of heaven and you and me, robed in our white, coming with Jesus. Do we have to fight? No. The Bible says that Armageddon ends because of the, the word of the breath of his mouth, and it's all over. Totally gone. Totally done. And for a thousand years, called the millennium, for a thousand years, there is a reign of righteousness, there is a reign of peace across the globe. And then finally after that, a thousand years is finished, there is the day of judgment. Anyone whose name was not found written in the Lamb's book of life was cast <clears throat> into the lake of fire. This is the courtroom of eternity, the courtroom of judgment. I'm concerned this morning. I'm concerned about things that I read in my Bible, especially in, for instance, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Let no one deceive you by any means. Deception. Folks, deception always leads to anxiety and fear about what is happening. The Thessalonians were fearful. They had listened to false teachers, teachers that told them, because of something that is happening in your lives, you have missed the coming of the Lord. You have missed this glorious event. And so this deception seemed to be perpetuating itself. And Paul writes two letters to them. These two letters had really one purpose, and that was to dispel the deception so that they would understand, no, you have not missed the rapture of the church, 
And yes, you will be included because you know Christ. Deception. We have deception today. We have it in, in varieties of places. The Bible says the devil disguises himself as an angel of light and his servants disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. So how do you avoid this? Turn with me real quickly to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14. Very quickly. In Ephesians chapter 4, actually beginning a little bit earlier than that, the Bible says, and he gave to the church. He said, I'm giving some gifts to the church. And these gifts are apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. For the equipping of the saints, God wants us to be equipped. He wants us to be equipped and understand what he's doing for the work of ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ. He goes on, and then in verse 14, that we should be no longer children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. I want to park here just for a second. Paul is talking about spiritual children. And the reason I know this is because when he says that we should no longer be children, the word for children here is nepios. And what it means, that is a word that means someone who does not talk, a baby. Babies do not talk. They have not learned a language skill yet or any of these things. Paul, Paul says, I want you to be I want you to be aware of what's going on. I want, you to be, I want you to learn. I want you to grow in your faith. I want you to be established in your faith. He's telling these people that you're not to fall for every religious fad that comes along because they do not have the knowledge of the word carried along by every wind of doctrine. Every wind. Let me give you a snapshot of a solid church what it means to be spiritually equipped. To be spiritually equipped is, number one, a spiritually equipped church is those whose members are strong in their doctrine and will reach out and love and they're going to proclaim the gospel. They're not going to sit on it, but they're going to reach out with it. Because there is something intrinsically motivating when I know what God wants, when I know his desire, when I know the heartbeat of God what he wants. Number two, God does not give us knowledge to keep, but to share it. To allow others to know it and understand it. Number three, God does not equip us to stagnate, but to serve. God wants this church to be busy serving. Not just showing up only on Sunday morning, but he wants a church that shows up on Sunday morning to be encouraged, to be strengthened, but then to go out and serve. To serve. Number four is very similar. The goal is not to be complacent and self-satisfied, but to serve. Listen to me carefully. Immature Christians are very gullible. And all of the history of the church, there's been no other period, absolutely no other period when believers have fallen into such foolishness as what is happening today. Despite our education, our freedom, our access to the word of God, sound teaching, 
Folks, every religious huckster on any corner in America can draw a crowd and to draw a following. I couldn't sleep last night. That's not necessarily unusual anymore. And I woke up at 3.33, actually, and finally I said, okay, I give up. I got out of bed, went to the family room, turned on the television. I can't believe all of the things that I can learn at 3.30 in the morning on television. It's just, it's just stunning. And all the things that you can buy. So I thought, well, okay, let's see if we can't find something spiritual. And that uh, really became a disappointment. I saw one huckster who just, he said, said, I want everybody to pray with me because I know this, because God told me this. There's a thousand people that are going to give a thousand dollars. And I said, oh God. So I thought, okay, I'm going to listen to this prayer for a minute. And then I Religious hucksters. I, I'm going to be honest with you as a pastor from a pastor, and I could line them up here today. We are sick and tired of this junk that has infected the church. Anybody can be anything on television or the radio. I'm sick of it. Because people's souls are in the balance on this thing. There is a judgment coming. Let me tell you something. Jesus Christ did not die for me to make me rich. He died for me to make me clean and free of my sin and to be righteous. Not so I could pray and say, God, give me a mansion. Give me a... Oh, I have a dozen cars I want right now, but give me any one of them. He didn't die for that. Don't walk up to me after this church service and tell me I'm all wrong because I want to nail you to the wall. I'll do it in a Christ-like manner, of course. <laughs> in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15, it goes on. It says, but speaking the truth in love, may we grow up, grow up, Grow up, church. Grow up into all things. So what does this spiritual growth look like? It looks like this. Christ-likeness. Number two, stability. Number three, joining the truth in love. Number four, cooperating with each other. Let me give you a final note here. Ephesians chapter, uh, I'm sorry, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Turn there if you would for just a moment. I'm going to Conclude. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and in verse 11. Once again, Paul is talking about the, the uh, end times. He's talking about the coming of the lawless one and lawlessness one. He's talking about all the signs, all the wonders, all the, uh, all the things, people who did not love the truth. All of these things. And then listen to this in verse 11. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion so that they should believe the lie. Strong delusion. Do we have a prototype for this? Yes, we certainly do. And it goes clear back, clear back into the book of Exodus. 
when Moses went before Pharaoh and said, God told me to tell you, let my people go. Pharaoh said no. And there were ten times that Moses spoke to Pharaoh. And the Bible says, and Pharaoh hardened his heart. You know what's dangerous this morning in church? There's people sitting right here. You've heard this message. You've heard the gospel. But you're not going to do anything about it. You're going to brush this thing off. I'm going to blow this off, preacher. And I'm going to get out of here as fast as I can. And the Bible says every time you do that, you harden your heart. You harden your heart. Until there comes a time in your life when you can hear a message like this and probably one preached by a better preacher than me and it will mean nothing. In the silence you hear is not something from God but the covering of the darkness that has come over your heart. Can the spirit of the living God pierce that darkness? Yes. The real saints of God right now begin to pray, pray, pray. Pray. The darkness needs to be penetrated only by the power of God. It will not be my, my rhetoric or anything else. Today, we live in an age of grace. We live in an age of the favor of God. Folks, we've got Bibles everywhere you can imagine. You can buy them at Walmart and the grocery stores and everything. It's on television. It's on radio. We've got churches all over the place. Everywhere. There's all kinds of spiritual things that can happen. And that's available. The favor of God. The favor of God. This is a day of grace. This is a day in which the favor of God reaches to people. Reaches to them. Why? Because he loves you. Why? Because he doesn't want you to spend an eternity in a godless hell. Why? Because he wants to transform lives and make a difference. But I know this, and I've had it said to me, Pastor, I don't know about all this. This second coming of, the, uh, of Christ sounds like kind of a fairy tale to me. It sounds like, I don't know, this whole thing of revelation, what in the world is going on? So I'll tell you what, preacher. <clears throat> if the rapture occurs, I'll get serious about God. And all I have to say to you is, really? You can't get serious about God on May 19th, 2019. What makes you think you'll be serious with God one day after the rapture occurs? Tell me. Tell me. Let me tell you what's coming. Verse number three, let no one de deceive you. Verse number seven, up here, the mystery of lawlessness is at work. Verse number nine, come down. 
The coming of the lawless one is coming. All of these things. The deception is going to be so strong, so powerful, so overwhelming. You will believe a lie. That's lawlessness. It's happening already. Read 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 1 through about verse 5. And Paul just gives you a list of everything that's happening. And they're all happening right now even. Janet, could you come back to the instrument, please? God speaks to us. In Revelation chapter 21 and verse 27, he talks to us about something that he calls the book of life in which the names of the followers of Jesus are written. Here's what that verse says. There shall be not by no means enter it, meaning heaven, anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. My name is in the Lamb's book of life. It got there by a sovereign act of the grace of God in February 1973. We could go down the row, go down the rows. When was your name put in the book of life? And you'd have scores and scores and hundreds of dates. But you know what? I'm guessing we would come to somebody that says, I don't know. I think it's there. I hope it's there. Folks, we're talking about eternity right now. I want to be certain. Don't you? Do you want to leave this thing just up in the air, just kind of let it float out there and hope that things are okay? Jesus said, I, these things have been written so that you might know that you have everlasting life. I want to know. I don't want to walk out of this place without knowing for certain that my name is in that book because it is life and it's forever. Bow your heads with me, please. Heavenly Father, today I don't believe anybody can afford to wait if we've honestly taken a look at these scripture words, if we've honestly listened to this message, then a decision has to be made. A decision that must be made today. Father, I pray for those who may be wavering and say, I'm going to put it off. Do not be like Pharaoh, who continued to do so until his heart had become hard. I pray for those today with that hesitancy in their hearts. I pray for those today that truly need Christ to forgive their sin. Jesus died for sin on a cross. That sin was mine. That sin was many others in this room. But he died for it all. And Father, today I pray for that one or that two or that dozen or, or many more in this church 
the need to confirm that their names are in that book of life. They need to confirm with a powerful Holy Spirit witness and to be able to say, I am saved. My soul is redeemed. So Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, we're going to pray a little prayer and I'm going to ask, <clears throat> I'm going to ask people that, people, any person, I don't care who you are, you need Christ, you need his forgiveness, you need a transformation of your life, whatever that need is, I'm going to ask you to quietly pray with me. That's all I'm going to ask you to do. Dear Jesus, I admit that I am a sinner and I'm lost in my sin. I'm sorry for trying to cover it up. I'm sorry for rejecting the opportunities of salvation. Today it's different. Today. I want to open my heart. Holy Spirit, come and help me. Help me to overcome any fear. Help me to overcome any, any, uh, any personal pride. Anything that would hinder and hold back. Father, I open my heart to Jesus Christ today, this morning, in this moment. Jesus, come into my heart and my life. Come in right now. I open the throne of my heart to you. Sit on that throne and govern my life from this moment on. I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he rose from the dead. And today, by simple childlike faith, maybe a faith I don't even understand, but I ask Jesus, come into my heart. I confess him this morning as the Lord and Savior of my life. And I'm going to do everything I can, with God's help, to live for Christ. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, I pray that people have said that prayer, said it in their heart and their spirit, and they've meant it. Father, I pray that you'll speak unto those hearts. That before we say the amen of this service, would you help one or two or a dozen or how many ever just simply to lift their hand and say, I prayed that with you, Pastor. I'm praying it this morning. Right now, I did it. Lift it up right now. Do it. There you go. Good for you. Good for you. Thanks. Thank you, Father, for your work in our lives. Thank you for taking a strong message and penetrating hearts and minds and lives. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.